Well, bear with me. I've got a little bit of upper respiratory. I apologize for that. It seems like half the city is sick. My family's sick this morning. Taylor's sick this morning. So we appreciate your prayers that we would suffer well as we suffer. This morning, we get to close out the book of Ruth. I hope you have been as encouraged as I've been encouraged by this book. We're in Ruth chapter 4. But in case you're new, before we get there, let's summarize where we've been. In chapter 1, you have this man named Elimelech. His name means my God is king, but he actually doesn't live that way. He bells on the people of God and the presence of God because he wants to go to a place that has food. And so he goes to Moab, this nasty place with this nasty origin known as the enemies of Israel. His sons marry these pagan women. They all die. Naomi's all alone, or so she thinks. Ruth has turned from the false god, Chemosh, and is now serving the one true and living God. And notice what she says, if you've got your Bible open there. And Ruth, those most famous words in Ruth 1, verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. So she's committed. And then God eventually restocks Bethlehem. And so they go back. And Naomi, though, changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet, to Mara, which means bitter. And she says, the Almighty is against me. She has wrongly interpreted her trials to think that her God is turned against her. She didn't believe what we just sang, that the flame wouldn't hurt her. God only designs her dross to consume and her gold to refine. And then as we move along in the story, the author here gives us a little bit of insider information in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Well, at this point, neither Ruth nor Amy know that Naomi know that. We just have this insider information. And if we knew our Bible, we'd know this law of leveret marriage. So there's this kinsman. Redemption is a possibility. And Ruth, of course, we saw she doesn't sit back and pray. She doesn't let go and let God. She trusts God and gets going. She gets to work gleaning, and she just happens to glean in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And lo and behold, the franchise owner just happens to visit a local franchise and meets Ruth. And this affluent older bachelor takes care of this young pagan Moabite woman. And one thing leads to another. They have the romantic meal of roasted grain. And Ruth heads home with a load of barley. Well, fast forward a couple months, they continue to glean, probably doing very well in terms of food, but really no progress in terms of long-term plans. And so Naomi, remember in chapter 3, devises this seemingly scandalous plan. We saw a couple weeks ago. She says, go, keep an eye on him. When he goes to bed, go, lay down at his feet. And Boaz goes to sleep, and then he wakes up like Adam of old. He wakes up to a wife, not from his side, but from Moab. And remember, Boaz could have easily taken advantage of Ruth here. It's at dark, it's at night, no one around, under the stars, but instead he wants to honor God. Boaz is an embodiment of Psalm 119. He's an embodiment of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, Boaz trusted the Lord. He did not lean on his own understanding. He acknowledged God in all his ways. Unlike everyone around him, remember it was the time of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, not Boaz. 
He wants to do what's right in God's eyes, and so he follows the law. And that's really how chapter 3 ends. Remember, there, the Redeemer must have the right, the resources, and the resolve to be a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz appears to lack the right. Remember we saw that in chapter 3, verse 12? Boaz wakes up to a woman in his bed and he says, Now it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And there we're left with a cliffhanger. Who will be the redeemer? And that brings us to Ruth chapter 4. Let's read together all of Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, and then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malan. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I've bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. 
Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So let's consider again in three scenes. First, we have redemption here in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So Boaz goes in, goes into town. He goes to the gate. The gate was where business happens, the center of city life. And Boaz probably hadn't planned on going into town. Remember, it's payday. It's the time of the barley harvest. He had barley to harvest, but Naomi had said that Boaz will figure this thing out. Remember at the end of chapter 3, look over there. Chapter 3, verse 18. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest. He'll settle the matter today. He said, Boaz is motivated. He's going to figure it out. And he does. She was right. There were now new priorities over payday. He was more interested in a bride than he was in barley, more interested in a wifey than he was with wheat. And so he heads down to town. He's got business to do. And behold, the other redeemer just happens to show up. What do you know? And Boaz says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And this translation, friend, is actually not the best. I like the KJV, King Jimmy actually translates it, such a one. Because the idea is Mr. So-and-so. Turn aside, so-and-so. Turn aside, such a one. Turn aside, whatchamacallit. In other words, hey, you. This guy doesn't even get his name mentioned here in the book of Ruth. And in a book of names, we ought to pay attention to this. This is significant, right? What have we seen? We've seen Malimelech. means my God is king. We've seen Orpah. It means gazelle. We've seen Ruth, which means friend. We've seen Boaz, which means quick or strong. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Now we have Mr. So-and-so. And he calls 10 elders to get down to business. And you know Boaz has got to be a little bit nervous here. How is this whole thing going to go down? Look at verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verses 3 and 4, sort of like a court transcript. And the other redeemer checks out his, his real estate portfolio. And to everyone's surprise, he says, I will redeem it. You know, Boaz's heart just sinks, as do all of ours. No, this isn't how it's supposed to work out. But Boaz is sharp. He's got a plan B. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz is like a modern-day cell phone company. So here's, here's all the fine print of this contract. I'm not finished yet. 
it is a nice house that you're buying, but I need to tell you a little bit more. There's a cranky mother-in-law who lives on the second floor. There's also this pagan woman that goes with the deal. I wonder what kind of tone Boaz had when he read, when he told her of the Moabite. Well, you got a house and you also got Naomi and you got Ruth the Moabite. Once again, the author wants us to know and remember that this woman is pagan. This woman comes from the enemies of Israel. That's why he said again and again. In fact, let's just look together. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. 122, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabites. Then look at chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabites. Chapter 2, verse 21. And Ruth, the Moabites. Chapter 4, verse 5. We just saw Ruth, the Moabite. Chapter 4, verse 10. Also Ruth, the Moabite. So the author wants us to keep in mind this woman is a Moabite. Twelve times Ruth's name's mentioned. Five of the twelve times he reminds us of her origin. And so Mr. So-and-so weighs his options now. It's like, I like the land, but do I really want a bitter mother-in-law and a pagan? I'm not sure how this is going to go for my inheritance. If he had a wife, it probably wouldn't go well, right? He's going to come home. Sweetie, how'd it go today? What was your highs and lows? And Mr. So-and-so says, well, the high was we got some free land today. Great location, corner lot, got a house on it. Oh, what's your lows? Well, two women are going to be living with us. One's cranky and bitter and one's a pagan. But one man's problem is another man's princess. Look at verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He's out. He says, I can't do it. He had the right. He may have had the resources, but he lacked the resolve. So he's done. Notice the alternatives that the book of Ruth gives us. First in chapter 1, when we have Ruth and Orpah. Orpah goes her own way. She decides to continue to worship the false god of Chemosh. Ruth dies to self, leaves everything in order to serve her mother-in-law. And look at the legacy she has. Look at the legacy of Orpah. All we know of Orpah, some pagan chick in the book of Ruth. Think about Ruth and the legacy she brings. Then fast forward, what are the alternatives we have in chapter 4? Here we have Boaz and Mr. So-and-so. Oh, what it could have been like for Mr. So-and-so. But instead, he abdicates his responsibility. Both were costly choices, but they were faithful choices. A man who abdicates his responsibility isn't even worth naming. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I've bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gates and the elders said, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. 
May you act worthily in Ephathra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So business happens. And here we have this ancient custom of legalizing the transaction that was clearly already obsolete by the time of Ruth. It was sort of like a modern-day handshake or even modern-day closing documents. Boaz had cash on hand, must have taken Financial Peace University. And all the people and witnesses say, may the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Remember Rachel and Leah who together built the house of Israel. Two women, they were formerly barren like Ruth had been up to this point. And the Lord opens their wombs. And Leah was the mother of Judah. And they perpetuated the family line of Jacob. And they say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And your house be like the house of Perez. It's interesting that the author mentions Perez here. Maybe you remember the story, Genesis 38. Perez was one of the sons of Judah, born through incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And this is important because here we have another scenario of the law of leveret marriage. Without leveret marriage, you wouldn't have Boaz. Without Boaz's story, we have yet another Within Boaz's story, we have yet another amazing example of how God can take and use disaster for good. Genesis 38 is a disaster, yet God uses it for good. And that whole history is seen as positive in the Jewish mindset because God worked through it to bring about offspring. Perez was in the line of Judah. If we know our Bibles, that should stand out. Why is Judah significant? Well, Judah is the line from which the king would come. Again, the whole story of the Old Testament is when is the king going to come? And we hear about it right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. This ruler would come forth from the woman, this offspring of the woman, Genesis 3.15, who would crush the head of the serpent even though his heel would be bruised. And so from right then and there, the question is, when will the king come who's going to defeat evil? And we go down the storyline in Genesis chapter 12, we hear that it will be an offspring of Abraham. And through this offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And as we read the book of Genesis, you get to the end. And in Genesis chapter 49, we read this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of not just Israel, but the peoples. And so Judah's line would be really important. The king would come from Abraham's line and from Judah's line. God is moving us somewhere in this little love story. Then we have the marriage in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Happily ever after, Boaz becomes Bay. What a turnaround, right? The book starts with a funeral and ends with a wedding. But that's not all, not just a wedding. They have a baby. Boaz has found his bride. Boaz is no longer ruthless because he has Ruth. (laughs) Remember, Ruth had left everything she knew for the sake of her God and for the sake of her mother-in-law. Left her home, left her family. The Lord provides with her a home. The Lord provides her with a family. As Jesus would say much, much later, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands 
for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Ruth left it all and the Lord provided. The prayer of Ruth 1.8 has been Ephesians 3.20. You know what I mean? Look at Ruth 1.8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you if you've dealt with, as you've dealt with the dead and with me. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Ruth and Naomi never could have imagined what the Lord would do through their faithful obedience. Look at verse 14. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in all Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Remember the women from chapter 1? They change their tune, don't they? Chapter 1, they come out, they're feeling sorry for her. Naomi calls herself bitter. Not anymore. Now they bless the Lord for providing a redeemer. The redemption of Ruth leads to the redemption of Naomi. Look back again at chapter 1, verse 20, as she comes in. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Her empty days are over. She probably scratched bitter off her name tag, replaced it with sweet. Mara back to Naomi. Turn the frown upside down. And notice this, grandkids. You can have a ministry to your grandparents. This grandbaby will nourish his grandma in her old age. They speak of her as being, Ruth is more than seven sons to Naomi. Seven sons being proverbial for the perfect family. We're over halfway there, I guess. And then the ladies name him. The ladies name him, which might have been a local custom, or maybe Ruth and Boaz just liked it, and they named him Obed, which means servant. And so they married, they have a baby, they live happily ever after. What a great story, right? But if we stopped here, we miss the whole point of the book. Let's look now at the ultimate point of the romance of redemption in Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, at first glance, especially if you're new to the Bible and new to this book, you've, you have to think that these verses are a little bit anticlimactic, right? You don't really see modern-day Chick flicks ending with a family tree. Genealogies are usually skipped over, right? Be honest, that's what you do. You skip your genealogies and then you feel good about yourself because you made some progress in your Bible reading. Why close out this Cinderella story with a bunch of dusty old names of dead people? Got a Hebrew phone book here. But 
These are actually the most important verses in the book. This is the punchline. These verses are the reason the Spirit inspired the book of Ruth. These verses are the reason the book of Ruth is in the canon of Scripture. This little short and simple local love story opens out like a stream into an ocean of hope for all peoples. How? Well, let's look at it. Boaz's dad was Salmon. Remember Salmon? You know who Salmon married? Salmon was married to Rahab. You remember Rahab? Rahab was the pagan, the Gentile prostitute who helped the Israelite spies all those years before. And so Boaz's mama was a Gentile. Do you think that influenced the way he cared for this dumpster diving Moabite? You bet it did. He had seen God's grace to pagan women who joined the people of God. Interracial marriage was the norm for Boaz. Verse 21 says, Boaz then fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. There it is. David would go on to be Israel's greatest king. And God would make some amazing promises to David. We know it as the Davidic covenant. If you want to keep your finger in Ruth and flip over to the right, two books to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Christians need to be familiar with the Davidic covenant that we find in 2 Samuel 7. The Davidic covenant is why the book of Ruth is in our Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7, let's start at verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. Some of the grandest promises in Scripture in fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. Abraham was promised that through his offspring all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Now David is in line with the promises to Abraham and he expands all those promises. He would have a son who would have a kingdom that would never end. And so the rest of the storyline of the Old Testament is when is this David going to come? Where is this true son of David? Would it be Solomon? It's probably what everybody thought. Hopes were high, but we quickly learned it would not be him. 
And so you have the Old Testament prophets, one after another, that begin to promise about this coming son of David, the coming king who would defeat evil. When will he come? And I want to, much like we did at the time of Advent, I want you to see the significance of David. So I want to read several passages with you from the prophets. Hopefully these are familiar. Isaiah chapter 11, when will he come? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the stump of Jesse. Isaiah 55, incline your ear. Come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Jeremiah 23, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David. David's long been dead at this point. A righteous branch, he shall reign as king. He'll deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jeremiah 33, verse 15, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. He shall execute justice and righteousness. Thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Ezekiel 37, my servant David shall be king over them. They shall have one shepherd. Hosea 3, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. And David, their king, shall come and fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Amos 9, in that day, in the future, I'll raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old. I could go on and on and on. The question is, when is the son of David coming? The romance of Ruth was so that God could bring forth David. But that's not all. Why is David significant for us? Let's look at the gospel according to Matthew. The first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, <clears throat> And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. There is Canaanite and Moabite blood running through the veins of the Son of God. Why does it matter for us? Luke chapter 1, verse 32, Jesus will be called great, son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Romans chapter one, which we'll start next week, really important letter. How does he start out? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand and through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. All the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter five, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, the roots of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The love story of Ruth is about Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. God moving history 
in a direction, interweaving strands of stories. Here the author demonstrates God's gracious hand of providence through all the intricate details of a romance. History is not haphazard. History is his story. Even in the dark days of Israel, even in the dark days of these individuals, God is at work. God will accomplish his purposes. Little did Ruth know when she set out from Moab to care for her bitter mother-in-law that she would become the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, King David, ancestor to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all peoples. Remember that hymn, William Cooper's hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Brothers and sisters, God's active. He's at work. Even in the hard times, maybe especially in the hard times, your life is bigger than you think. Although John Piper put it, he said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. You might be aware of three of them. Be faithful. Faithfully pursue the Lord. What's fascinating here in these verses is that these ladies, they refer to the baby as the Redeemer. Did you catch that? Look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. There in the middle... Gave her conception, she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law who loves you, who's more than seven sons, has given birth to him. The he at the beginning of verse 15 refers to the redeemer. Of verse 14, the baby is the redeemer. How so? And let through his line, the ultimate redeemer would come. Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us in our place. Titus chapter 2, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He is the redeemer. And they pray, may he become famous, and he does. May he be the restorer of life, he does. Follow the steps here, starting in chapter one. Israel was disobedient. That's why the famine came. That's why that weak-willed man named Elimelech leaves the house of bread and goes to Moab. Israel disobeys, so God summons a famine, which makes him leave to bell on the people of God and the presence of God for the sake of the provision of bread, all because God wanted to provide a savior for his people. His sons break the law, they marry pagan women. Naomi loses everything but her daughter-in-law who is committed to her all because God wanted to provide a savior for you. God restocks the house of bread and they return and it just so happened to be the time of the barley harvest so that they could find food. They could glean and they can eat. And as we saw in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz because God wants to provide a Savior for his people. Ruth catches the eye of Boaz, and he takes her in, and he honors her purity when Naomi sends her in in the middle of the night. 
the closer kinsman, abdicates his responsibility. So Boaz can redeem Naomi and Ruth because God wants to provide a savior for his people. They marry, they have a baby who had a baby who had a baby who was promised a kingdom that would have no end. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. God has provided a savior for his people.